This conversation is brought to you in part by Harvesthold from Verdant Technologies, with promotional consideration from Volcano Produce. Well, good day, everybody. I hope you are doing fabulous. My gift for you today in my brain is that everybody's doing fabulous. That's my gift to the world today, spreading good love and will and cheer and all that good stuff and brightening up people's day because you never know what people's path is, right? And the only way to make a path different is by throwing a little love on it. And we're all capable of doing that if we choose to. Just remember, it's a choice. We're going to have a fun show today, kids. We're going to talk about things that make you happy. We're going to talk about dirt. We're going to talk about happy dirt. And I'm excited about it because I don't think a lot of people and not a lot of people out there know what these cats are up to. And I'm telling you right now, these folks are kicking in some doors and doing some things I find incredibly cool and find incredibly needed out here in the world. And we're going to have a conversation with my friend Sandy about what's going on back in the Carolinas and on the East Coast and spreading across this country in a big way. And I am super excited to welcome the CEO of Happy Dirt. Please, everybody, pull over, put your hands together, park the Teslas, whatever you're driving, get off the treadmill, start clapping. Sandy Kronick's in the house. Welcome, Sandy. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks so much, Todd. I'm so happy to be here. All right, well, you say that now. Let's see what happens when we get done. Right? I'm, I always hold out to the end. That's the goal. Get to the end and be happy. That's my goal every time. Now, I'm stoked that you guys are here. I really am. And I was new to Happy Dirt. No two ways about it. You all have been around for a while. There's You guys have been doing some really big, unique, heavy lifting going on, making a change in the world of agriculture that I'm excited to talk about. But once I peel back a little bit, I was going to say peel back the onion, but that's such a campy produce show. Once I started peeling back the banana um, and realized what you guys were doing and, and why you're doing it and who you are, I'm like, holy moly, we got to get these cats up on the show. We need to talk about this. These, this is the kind of stuff that wins the day and changes the narrative and creates opportunities out there that we need to be talking about because you're driving value into the food chain. And it is something I'm all about. So again, a huge welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm looking forward to just this chit chat. I have been all week and um, let's get rocking and rolling. So before we get going, I, I ask all my guests the same thing. I'm not going to read your bio because it's incredibly campy. And if, if it's got words more than six or seven letters, I can't say them anyways. So I work on small words only. So <laughs> I'm going to let you share with everybody a little about your journey and bio and just kind of introduce yourself and say hey to everyone. Okay. Thanks so much. I really appreciate all your words, Todd. It's incredible to be here. Um, my journey is um, not your average journey into the produce industry. I grew up on Long Island in New York and um, became a vegetarian for random happenstance and um, moved to Ohio for college and started. Okay, where? What, 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 where? Don't tell me. Overland the, College. Oh, thank God you didn't say the Ohio State. I can't. It remember. is not the Ohio State. Oh, it's God. A different thank world than, oh, yeah. oh, thank God. Go Overland. Go team. I'm all for that. Go. I don't even think we had a football team at my school. But um, tiny school, and I wound up um, accidentally brokering relationships between the dining halls and the Amish farmers in the area. And this was the very early stages of cell phones, but we really didn't have any cell phones. We had those clunkers in the car that were attached to the car. And, um, and it was just the best entree into communication because, you know, the Amish growers, of course, didn't have phones, didn't have email. So I was um, really well-versed at the postal service route in the area. And I would hustle all of the chefs in town to give me their order by a certain time, make it to the postal, you know, the right box at the right time to catch the post, postal person, postal carrier. And, um, and then I had a pickup truck and would send usually another college kid out to drive. So I had this like fake staff and I had zero budget. And, um, and we brought in a fair amount of product. And, and honestly, the growers taught me best about communication 
Um, and also just what is possible. I mean, I don't know if it gets more resourceful than the Amish community anyhow, but whatever people were asking for, because I knew nothing, I wasn't afraid to ask stupid questions. And so I would say, by the way, somebody's looking for this item. When is it in season? And is that something that we can grow? Um, and, or is that just, you know, where does this come from? And sure enough, within two or three weeks, the growers would have put it on their availability list. Um, so somewhere within their network, their it might have been from another state, but somewhere within that Amish network, they were able to source it for me. So um, I just became really passionate about, uh, I was always passionate about eating um, food from sure. great sources, but I was really passionate about helping other people come along on that journey. Um, I actually thought I was going to become a transportation planner, go into urban planning, and I just love logistics, which... I'm happy to say, I think it's gotten a little bit more sexy in the modern world, but back then it was really weird and nobody necessarily understood why I would be into something like that. Um, so logistics more, scares everybody though. It's a scary topic. I mean, yeah. I, there's not a lot of young children who are growing up and saying, I want to work hard and I want to become a logistics supervisor or something like yeah. that. It's a constant headache putting out fires. It's really a firefighting type of role. For sure it is. Um, so maybe it has to do with our attention spans, but for some reason it was a perfect fit for me. Um, and when I moved to North Carolina, I got connected with a nonprofit that focuses on supporting and lifting up the sustainable agriculture community by organizing farmers and consumers. And what they didn't have was any service that actually provided a market-based strategy for farmers. So I moved here in 2001. It was this golden moment because the tobacco buyout was kind of in the midst of happening. Mm -hmm. And the NOP, the National Organic Program, was about to really turn on in 2003 through the USDA. So we focused um, on working with the small pool of organic tobacco farmers in North Carolina. And, you know, it was kind of this fabulous um, anthropological experience for me in some ways. These farmers had come from a quota and an auction system into contracts, but um, what they really needed was the infrastructure and the organic produce market lacked that infrastructure. So if you were an organic grower, you were generally selling through a farmer's market and um, therefore very limited in the scale and you know volume that you could produce. Um, a survey that we did in, I think 2003, 2004 showed that about 18% of the product that was on the shelves at the time that was um, in North Carolina that was certified organic was coming from um, the Southeast and the rest was being shipped in. So I thought right. well, we focused on the lowest hanging fruit, the sweet potatoes, the sweet corn, you know, things like that. Um, and the farmers welcomed me with open arms, which was really the biggest surprise. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, yeah, you I knew I wasn't the first person to knock on their door and say, like, I want to support your growing more organic produce. And they were like, right. we know your type and you don't know anything about us. But they they were very open. And I worked hard and, you know, up at two in the morning to connect with them. So I think I gained well, a little it, free credit. But you could talk their language, too. Right. Like you could walk like you could really go in and feel the pain of, from your logistics background. Right. And, and again, it. it, it Nobody really wants that job. People do. I don't get me wrong. I'm being I'm obviously throwing it out there a little humorous, yeah. but it's a tough ass job. And so for you to be able to walk in and actually address that, probably got a little crack in the door that, you know, these guys are, well, wait a minute, maybe we should stop and listen a little bit, right? I mean, it's it's meaningful. Yeah. Well, I really didn't have experience. I mean, I was fresh out of undergrad. So most most of us would say at this point, you don't learn anything at that point. Um, but I wasn't afraid to ask questions and and the customers, the sure. wholesale buyers, the retailers in this area were desperate. 
organic produce from local farmers because that's always what the demand was. It was the folks who wanted organic wanted to support local farmers. So why is it so hard to match up? And that was really the problem we were trying to solve. I love it. So let's get into it a little bit. I'm going to get in because I do want to talk about the tobacco industry a little bit. But I, before we do that, let's talk a little bit. What is, you know, just kind of give us a little bit of what is Happy Dirt today? What are you all doing? Yeah, I mean, essentially, we're a wholesale produce distributor that is focused on organics and focused on product coming out of the Southeast. But we are not limited to organics and we are not limited to the Southeast. So we are really we grew out of an older brand that we established in 2004. And that brand had come from um, the desire to really support the development of an organic um, lifeline within North Carolina farmers. And after 15 years, we'd kind of shaken the trees and felt like the farmers had grown to the scale. You know, many of them started with zero acres of organic or zero acres of vegetables. And they moved up to 200, 400 acres over the course of the experience. You know, literally I would get a phone call and it was like, I'm interested in this organic thing. Tell me what it's all about. And it was like starting at that ground level. And I was always blessed to have amazing folks to work with who could really talk about the production challenges and the opportunities and the financials and all of that stuff. Um, and so sustainability for a lot of these family farmers doesn't mean going into a thousand or 2000 acres just to meet our demand. Um, it's not necessarily the right fit from a lifestyle or financial perspective for them. And frankly, with climate change being that much concentrated within a specific geographic area poses some risk to our own resiliency. So when we moved into the Happy Dirt brand and what we really look like today is that, you know, our mandate from our customers is to develop phenomenal relationships with producers, period. And obviously, the more we can do that with folks in our back door, in our backyard, within the Southeast, we're thrilled to do it. And an overwhelming majority of the product that we represent does come from the Carolinas and the Southeast. Yeah. But um, we are doing an amazing job connecting with, frankly, friends that we've had over all of these years. And really, they said, Sandy, grow up already. Why are you not working with potatoes or onions? Or like, if you're going to be a produce company, hello, avocados. Right. So, um, so, yeah, we kind of tiptoed. And I think that there's a lot that, you know, we could talk about one day about uh, being a woman in this industry and, you know, being a little bit brave sometimes and knowing that um, you just have to let things grow into the way that the market wants you to be. Like we stepped into a new realm of leadership that our mm -hmm. customers wanted, our farmers wanted and being you know humble and staying in our little box didn't serve our impact. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Gordon Robertson, CEO of Verdant Technologies. Thank you for listening to Todd Versations. Our innovative post-harvest solution, Harvest Hold Fresh, is a game changer in delivering longer-lasting produce from crop to cart. Our patent technology slows the clock, extending the shelf life of fruits and vegetables, helping to preserve them at their peak. By simply inserting a sheet of Harvest Hold Fresh into packaging after harvest, our solution works to significantly reduce waste, deliver return on investment, and offer robust sustainability benefits in the perishable produce supply chain. That's a winning proposition for the grower, the shipper, the retailer, the consumer, and our planet. Contact us today and let us help you change your fresh future with this one sheet wonder. Harvest Hold Fresh from Verdant Technologies. And, and I will say, you know, based upon my own personal experience, 
there's a drastic difference between a farmer in the Southeast and a farmer anywhere else in this country. And if you've ever sat down at a table across from a farmer in the Southeast and had a conversation, it's completely different than sitting at a table with farmers elsewhere. I will just tell you that right now. There, awesome. there, there is, there's just something about the, the spirit. There's something about the air. There's something about the sunshine. I don't know what it is. And maybe it's in the water. Who knows? But there's just a different mindset that comes out of the Southeast. So I can see where coming in with your perspective and I can see we're coming in with that energy level and, and trying to have conversations about trying to solve problems. I mean, real world problems. Let's be honest. The Carolinas agriculturally have faced some real world problems, some real yeah. things that were incredibly detrimental. And I do want to touch on it leads me up to talking a little bit about the tobacco farming industry um, because that was a to do. I mean, that really was the lifeblood in a lot of ways of the Carolinas and a lot of places in the Southeast back in the day, which I'm not exactly sure what that means, but nonetheless, I'll say it. It doesn't make me sound so old if I say the day, right? It's like, oh, way back. But nonetheless, it's like, you know, that was a big deal. But that industry, you know, is dying in a whole lot of ways, including people, but nonetheless. And, you know, to make changes for those farmers and to open up new doors of opportunity, especially the generation that you're working with, right? Because it's, it's, uh, this is a unique generation that could look back at what their, 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 their fathers and grandfathers and some of the generational learning that they can bring to it. But they also have kids their own, perhaps, or they're looking forward into the future saying, you know, I got one foot here, one foot here. I got to make a change. So talk to me a little bit about tobacco farming in the Carolinas over the past 10 years, a little bit of the change. We kind of touched on a little bit, but more specifically, can you, can you give some examples of how you've helped um, some of these farmers kind of get out of the, out of the path that they were on and put them on a different one? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the best part is that there's no judgment here. You know, I, I love the carrot, not the stick. And so we yeah. encourage folks to date us you know, let's not get married. And that was one of the benefits of not only working with certified organic farmers. We want them to date organic production first as well. See if it feels like a good fit before they maybe make the financial investment. We're obviously selling it as conventional. And, you know, for us, a big piece of this is it's communication, it's ability to respond well to feedback. I mean, these are some things that weren't necessarily part of the structure of relationships in the tobacco climate. Um, we, like I said, were blessed to be able to start um, actually with a pool of just maybe two dozen organic tobacco farmers in the state. So in some ways, we came in off of the um, tailwinds of a um, the American Spirit cigarette, um, right. who had helped all of these growers transition about five years prior and did a lot of coordination for them around production challenges access to inputs. I mean, things were very different back then in terms of being able to get all the, you know, organic fertility programs and things like that together. So um, we actually got a small grant through that nonprofit that I linked up with in 2001 mm -hmm. through the North Carolina state legislature. It was $48,000, which I'd love to put the numbers on it because these days people who get grants, which we don't, we're, we're for profit, but um, people who get grants get like six figures and it's really oh, yeah. fabulous. We started this with $48,000, which was basically just a lifeline to, to, you know, I rented the truck and I drove the truck and we right. were like, we'll see what's going to happen here. But um, at the end of the day, you know, the growers that we were working with were just growing organic tobacco on their certified acreage. And with the crop rotation that was then becoming mandated through the USDA, they weren't doing anything profitable, saleable and nothing off of that land. And so we really were able to focus on what would work well with your equipment, what would mm -hmm. work well in the downtime of your labor, and what can I like, duh, sell? What would be the, like, not that hard to sell? 
Um, like the markets will take it. We won't have many quality hiccups, et cetera. So uh, we focused on, you know, the broccoli and things like that, that would work well in the planter or, you know, a couple of the guys had the ice machines that they share the ice with everybody else. Um, and we just really, we tiptoed into this because we didn't know what it was going to look like. And I was just like so afraid that I was going to ask farmers to stick their necks out and it wasn't going to work well. And that honestly was the best, you know, people, I, when I talk to like business schools and things like that, my best advice is have the most positive pressure. Like it was a positive stressor for me to not fail because I did not want to be another person who failed farmers. Yeah, well, um, they have yeah, enough so, challenges every day, enough things that are out of their control. I didn't want to burn anybody. Hundred um, percent. So, yeah, it was really a, a fabulous reason to wake up and work hard every day. Well, there's no two ways about. It. And for, look, farmers are the biggest risk takers on this planet. Like you know, they, 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 they. they it's, it's almost the old adage is that every you know they, they make money once every five years and they they just keep plowing through for the next four and hoping to hit that market right I mean oh, it's yeah. just the old adage and tobacco is no different but I have to say organic cigarettes kind of like eating French fries and drinking a diet coke it just they don't cancel out somehow I'm it just was saying. controversial back then yeah. I mean oh, the, when, the, when the organic um, certification programs went from being kind of state based systems into the USDA it was a hot debate very big um, debate and a lot of this you know I've learned through the kind of self-prescribed organic elders in the industry who have taught me a lot about the amazing stories of the early days. Um, but, you know, I kind of came in at the right time and I had like that perfect naivety to not be afraid to give it a try. So. Well, I, and farmers, I think are always, they're willing to take risks and they're always looking to want to better themselves because when they better themselves, it becomes a generational thing. It becomes, you know, I've, I've got, my family depends upon me waking up today and jumping in the John Deere and, you know, tearing up clods yeah. and people, we don't realize what goes into it. You know, and I think when I think about a lot of the food in our country today, I always put the words in front of people like, well, how do you, how do you choose to value your food? How do you value your food? Right. People can, people don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. And because, and, and I, and I say that, and I'll, I'll put it in the context of this is like, you know, again, that farmer may be plowing until 10 30, 11 o'clock at night and he'll go home and he'll sleep for two, three hours. And he's back at it again because he has a window of 72 hours to chisel down 250 acres before it rains. He right. has no, there's no wiggle room. I mean, it is such a big responsibility to be a farmer in this country, which is why I feel so passionate about trying to uplift and share these messages because people just expect it to be in the grocery store and don't understand necessarily how it gets there. And small family farms today are somewhat of a dying breed. And if we don't keep elevating these conversations and putting light on the folks like you guys at Happy Tour, which you all are doing, I think we're doing a disservice to this country and to our planet going forward. Yeah, I, I really, can't agree really more. Do. And that's why I so appreciate the impact that you have on the industry because you're you're not afraid to talk. You're not limiting the conversation to yield and pricing and logistics and all of that. Like there's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of pressure on farmers. There's a lot of variables um, and a ton of risk. I mean, statistically, it is the highest risk. Statistically, farming is one of the top three most dangerous careers in the country. Like that's a, that's a big problem, but we're not going to solve it if we're afraid to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, I think, and you did ask about like some stories and I think it's probably worth sharing that, you know, we, um, we had one farm, I have not specifically mentioned, and I'm really most proud of it is that I own the company with another partner, um, our president in the company and 16 farmers. It was always set up to be a farmer owned company. I thought well it was going to be a co-op. And in 2005, the growers were like, no, 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 you have to own this. And so we came up with an LLC to have joint shared ownership because, I, it was critical to me that farmers were part owners in the company and they were absolutely committed to 
me waking up worrying about the insurance or the, the truck breaking down because they have their own things to worry about. 100% um, they do. Yeah, but one of our founding owners um, is a farm in Nash County, North Carolina, and they got they have tobacco and they had some cattle over time and they had uh, they dabbled a tiny bit here and there, but primarily it was poultry um, or or cattle, but like one livestock operation and then tobacco. And um, the wife thought we really need to grow tomatoes because there's no good tomatoes out here in the country. And so they got into greenhouse tomato production. This was many, many years ago before everybody was doing it. And um, we had a fabulous relationship for several years and um, their son was living in the city uh, several hours away and in the waste management industry, a great desk job, benefits, you know, the dream. Mm -hmm. And um, him and his wife decided that they didn't want to raise their kids in the city. And so um, the farmers, Tim and Nancy, called me one day and said, uh, Sandy, we need to look at our numbers and figure out how we can create a third living here for our son to be able to relocate. And so this was 10 years ago, at least. Um, and they're crushing it. It's like the cutest thing ever. And of course, Jonathan moved out there. He was probably 30 something. And he came up with all these fun little innovations of like this scooter to ride through the greenhouse to not hurt his back as much. I mean, just different kind of energy. Um, because that's what happens when you get to like switch perspectives and come in from another angle. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I always love to talk about that story. Because first of all, the seeing it at the front view of mirror or, you know, through your, through the front window rather than in the side view or the rear view is just so rewarding to me. Like how can we be strategic about thinking about your goals as like a holistic family? And then the right. other piece that I love so much about it is that his family isn't just making a living off the farm and, you know, raising their kids closer to the source of food and all those fun values that are so important, but they're going to a rural school they're going to the local soccer, you know, they're participating in the vibrancy of rural America, which honestly is also a, an endangered situation. 100%. Um, so just thinking about the extra vitality and actually his mother-in-law moved from Charlotte out there as well to be closer to the grandkids. So it's just really fun to picture all the like community organizations and, and companies that are benefiting from this vitality. So I absolutely yeah. I love it. And I have to I have to come around to something that you said. I think it's important to be that I, I want to keep this stat in front of people. The suicide rate for farmers is so incredibly high. It's at the same level it is for veterans. A statistic that I read that I've talked about before in past episodes, 225 million agriculture workers on this globe that suffer from suffer from mental problems, from mental issues. And mm -hmm. uh, it's real. And this is a tough ass business, right? Because it's not like you walk into a widget factory, right? You don't walk in, close the door and look out a window. You open up your door and walk outside. And that whatever yeah. outside throws at you is the world you get. Mother Nature, it does what she wants, when she wants and how she wants. No matter how much you want to think you can try to control it, ain't going to happen, kids. That's right. And it's a big deal. So I can, I can completely appreciate what you said. And I also want to touch on the community aspect because I think this is something when I think about how you value your food. Farm communities aren't just the farmer and his family and six cows and a few chickens. That farm community is to your point. It's the coffee shop. It's the seed salesman. It's the tractor shop. It's the tire guy. It's 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 the grocery store or the, or the country store, whatever you want All to call it. All the churches, the Kiwanis Club. Yes. 100%. It is such a unique place. It's such a unique part of our country. And to your point, it seems to almost be shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And I, I, my hope is that people get an opportunity to go to a farming community, to an Airbnb, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. and hang out and experience it. Like walk in 
on, yeah. a, on a rainy morning to the coffee shop in a farming community and look at all the white pickup trucks in the parking lot. And they're all sitting around <laughs> telling stories. It's hundred percent. They're all telling stories about this. And they're telling about that. And I'll tell you, yeah. if you want to learn anything about farming, go hang out with an old farmer because they'll fill yeah. your head so full of knowledge. You have no idea. Absolutely. And I will say that, you know, what we know about the, you know, the word resiliency is incredibly common and frankly kind of overused at this point. But what we know about resiliency in an ecological environment is pretty clear biologically. You know, the forest fire happens, new growth happens, like stress equals sometime opportunity. So um, I've studied a lot of, there's some good research out there about what resiliency looks like in the Mm -hmm. farming community, which is different to translate it into a social science. But what we know is that it's access to a network. It's, It's resiliency happens through connectivity. And that is not just you know, it has nothing to do with being able to control the weather or nothing to do with being able, you know, like being able to reverse a a production problem in the field. Like that shit just happens. But when you have other people who you can relate to and they can relate to you, who can maybe help you get through a problem physically. Like when we had labor problems going on a few years ago, this was one of my favorite things is that we weren't even involved with it. One of our farmer owners was talking to another farmer owner about their labor shortage at that moment the crop was ready and the other grower said, take, take my guys and just, you know, three or four days, I'll need them back. But like you pay them yeah. and let's not lose the crop. And that is why we have such a problem in the farming community is on one hand, they're just folks are isolated and, yeah. you know, we don't need to always get together to talk about the problems. Like we are constantly pulling our growers together to just talk about what's working well and if farmers aren't going to give us feedback about how to be a better supplier to our customers, then I don't know who is. I mean, our farmers will say that, you know, you can work on this and this, and that's how you'll be the most competitive buyer that we can work with. Um, yeah. And and that's better than any like exclusivity clause I've ever heard of. But, sure. um, but I, it's really meaningful to be able to know that like the connections are not always coming through like a center uh you know, like a a grand central station, Mm -hmm. it's happening all around us now. And that's, you know, our ability to hold community for our farmers is incredibly rewarding and actually has an economic impact too. So, you know, we can talk about it. I'll never forget in 2002 or 2003, um, I was sitting down with one of our farmers on their couch and, you know, trying to, with my pad and uh, pen, trying to work out our production plan with them. And he was like, Sandy, it is so stressful because every plant I put in the ground, every seed I put in the ground, I don't know, am I going to have enough water for that seed? Right. Am I going to be able to take it and fulfill the vision that I have for it? Like the pressure on not knowing like the, all this energy output that goes in, not just money, but just like emotional and labor output. And will it come to fruition the yeah. way it's supposed to that is the stuff that is the most the biggest problem if you can solve that problem for farmers or if you can support farmers like feeling more emotional security not just market security but like we are out there hustling for them because we don't want to fail them and we right. want to get up in their business about what their big challenges are um well, and I, that was like one of the most potent stories for me because i it's helped me talk about farmer suicide rate. It's helped me talk about hard things because if a farmer's brave enough to explain to a 21 year old how much emotional pressure they felt and being able to like help that seed live the life that it has the potential to live. I was like, okay, we can get, I can get deep with these folks. That's great. So. 
Yeah, well, you know, you touch on something, you know, really, to me, the word that, that comes to mind when I heard what you just were talking about was accountability, right? Yeah. Farmers are accountable, and they're accountable, obviously, to their family, their community, but they're accountable to the earth, they're accountable to the sun, the rain, the water, all these things. And accountability matters. And, you know, it, it, because I, I know a lot of farmers, and I've never seen one that didn't end a conversation or make an agreement that wasn't involved with a handshake. Mm -hmm. Right. That wasn't about that accountability. It's like, if you tell me this is what it's going to be, this is what it's going to be. And I I love how you've set me up beautifully to ask this question. And I think I'm going to give you kind of a two parter here. You know, you've been doing this a while now. Um, So talk to me a little bit about what the past 20 years have taught you specifically about this organic industry, because it is completely different than Mm -hmm. anything else out there in the the ethos. But also, (laughs) too, because you because you have this relationship based on accountability, you have this relationship based upon um, a clear understanding of, you know, we all win. We don't win individually. We win together, right? Which I think is incredibly powerful and, and really great marching orders to build a business around. What is working with the family farmers in the organic industry taught you that maybe you didn't see coming or expect, or maybe some surprises? I know it's kind of a big question, but go for it. Throw it any way you want. Or- love big questions. Um, yeah, this is fun to get out of the day job and have big conversations. So I appreciate all of it. Um, I think. I mean, my little experience in the organic industry um, on one hand has really taught me to um, lean into the truth and really build um, through the network. Like we have to work hard to maintain the integrity of the word organic every day. And I have to do that because we want to protect our farmers and our business, but really it's kind of on all of us. So we're kind of all in something together. Um, And so there is a certain level of accountability to community that we don't even know because a little consumer confusion causes a big problem for us all. So I've seen that a few, I've seen that a few times in my tenure. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's not getting any easier, frankly. Um, But that's a big piece of it for me is um, that we cannot go it alone. Exactly. Like you were saying. Um, And the other piece is just to like constantly worry, like a practice, you have to commit to the discipline of working hard to maintain the integrity. And that comes up, I mean, I'm not just talking about big picture things and how we make, we try to support our customers always maintaining the integrity as well. But even just in the conversations we have with new farmers, like we we can spread a good practice around that and, um, you know, demystify what the word means, but also know that we have an educational responsibility um, that is important, not just for us, but well beyond our immediate relationships. So that's a big piece of it. And the other thing is that, um, you know, we have a really incredible story. I mean, the stories of the organic industry that I've been able to glean through my friendships with other organic wholesalers around the country um, has been a remarkable leadership development opportunity for me, frankly. Um, And to kind of respect from where we've come and all of the work that went in and that, you know, a few people working together and thinking big picture can make a huge difference. I mean, ultimately, what we're looking at is that there was a lot of like um, concern around certain inputs and how they related to human health. And instead of fighting against and against and against, this is my understanding of the story through, through friends, is one day they said, you know what, this is gonna kill us because we have to fly into DC constantly to fight against this or that. And while we're doing this, the new dangerous input 
you know, there's one, one ingredient that's getting switched and then we're going to have to come back and fight against that. So we have to figure out what we're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be what is going to sustain us all. And that has been an incredible lesson for me, not just professionally, but even personally is like, let's make sure we know where we're trying to go here. Um, and so, you know, and the organic movement really came from concern for, you know, human health and farm worker health. I think it's important for us as an organic industry to kind of link, lean back into that and, you know, talk more about the third stool of sustain, the third leg of the sustainability stool, which is social. And how are we showing up for farm workers? How are we worried about farmer suicide rates and farm worker suicide rates? How are we thinking about health? Because frankly, farm workers are a massive part of rural America. And are they safe? Are they feeling safe? Are they feeling like they have access to the resources that they deserve and that we need them to have in order for them to keep showing up to work? So, um, so yeah, there's just a lot of uh, lessons and stories that um, it's important to like spend the time. And frankly, you know, it's very humbling for me because I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, kind of grow up caring about this. It kind of probably is just in my DNA. Um, And there's a rich history um, and very open people. So it, you know, I, I have always thought that the organic, I mean, I like what you said. Yes, it's very different. It's very challenging, but really also we, we lean on collaboration. I mean, obviously not everybody does, but, and yes, competition is competition, but um, for us, we have a much more limited supply chain of farmers to work with and loyalty is that much more important. Needing something to sell. I mean, we need to, for us, I say this constantly, um, our supply chain is not our products. It's our farmers because we have a real threat of, uh, you know, really the whole industry. We have a threat that every acre that leaves agricultural production, especially produce, and goes into any other level of development, it's pretty much impossible to turn that back into farmland. And so we have to kind of stop the bleeding every chance we get. And that we do that by being loyal to the relationships and the people mm-hmm. and really caring about them and their families and their goals and helping them to have their own big picture conversations. If we can hold space for our growers to talk to us about what their goals are, what's going well, what's not going well, take a pause from the firefighting for a moment right. and think about the year and back on the last year. That's the best way that we can cultivate our supply chain. Um, it's not about the, the products. It's not about the pricing that week for us. Um, and no, that's why I, I, I think our farmers really like us. And that's what's working well for us with our customers too, is that, you know, we are very transparent about that dynamic. Yeah, hundred percent. It's never about the PO, it's about the people. And if you don't realize that you will, when your business fails, but you know, our integrity is so incredibly important. And I want to come around on this as well, because truthfully, in my opinion, integrity is one of the very few things we actually truly own. I like generally own each individual person owns integrity. Right. And if once you screw that up, good luck, right? You just can't run to the store and replace it, right? It becomes something that, that is incredibly difficult. And so when you think about the organic business is integrity based, it, it all is. We're all, people are doing stuff every single day and and it is what it is. You're hoping they're doing it right. You're right. not over their shoulder, right? Like I said, there's no organic farm bureau of investigation out there running around checking <laughs> people out, right? But nonetheless, it's, it's, it, it is about that. And so Integrity is really important to drive into any conversation, in my opinion, whether you're a farmer or you're a company like yourselves that's representing farmers, making a difference in the world. You have to uphold that conversation and everything that you do, because once it wavers, 
Farmer Bob may make a mistake, but Farmer Betty is going to pay the price for Bob. And it's what's happened across the century. I've seen it. I've seen stuff for the last 35 plus years. I've been a part of seeing these different integrity based issues that have come out and what it's done to everybody. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it, it's incredibly important to drive that in. Another thing that you talked about, and I think is that, that I want to add to what you said is that we need to start looking at food security in this country and what it actually means and what it goes back to what I said earlier about driving the value. What does the value of food actually mean to people? Food insecurity is a hell of a lot worse than the Chinese balloon flying over our country. Trust me, kids. And I challenge this all the time to people. Go into your kitchen today, open it up and ask yourself how many days worth of food is there and what happens if I have no more? We right. cannot and answer that question. Up is not the answer. It's not the answer. We can't yeah. answer that question. I know it's really big and everybody's like, oh, shut the hell up, Todd, get off your soapbox. But it's a fact that we need to be thinking about. And if we're not digging into conversations around agriculture with a much broader mindset and a much bigger thought process about tomorrow, mm -hmm. I think we're screwing ourselves in the long game. I really, really yeah. do. And I think it's going to drastically affect the next generations coming up. Well, even if it doesn't have a huge crisis inflection point, which frankly, we all have just been through. Um, yeah. And we're still recovering from it in many ways. But even if that didn't happen, and it was just in our consciousness, we'd still be better off because of it, like being able to live, raise children in a community where they appreciate, on one hand, even how the stuff is grown, much less how much hard work and developing that baseline. 100%. Human respect for the hard work that farmers put in, that alone would have such an impact on, frankly, everyone's personal health. Like, there are plenty of selfish reasons why it would be good for people to care more about how food was produced, where it came from, and how hard it was to make. Um, and so, even if there was no like food security crisis, which I believe we are very much overly concentrated and you know, frankly, the solution is all in processed food. So, the produce industry, we have a lot of. Um, room to grow in terms of really kind of um, from an advocacy standpoint, educational right. standpoint, et cetera, really driving these points home. But ultimately, like we, we, I just, I want to live in a society where it's basic to appreciate these kind of things. It's basic to have a certain degree of mindfulness, call it spirituality, say your prayer before you eat, whatever it is you want to do, but just understand how much work went into that. And actually I love telling people the story of how uh, strawberries are produced because it's just one bite that usually you just shove down and you don't even think about it. But, you know, I've seen the farmers at two in the morning making sure that their irrigation pipes aren't freezing in, in the middle of the winter so that the strawberries are okay five months later. So there's, in my opinion, no more labor that goes into one perfect bite than the strawberry story. And I just think of everyone grew up knowing how much work went into growing strawberries. Yeah. Um, we'd probably be a little bit more grateful and healthy because of that. So but well, I, you said about accountability and integrity. And I just think um, for some reason, it feels like the mantra for the year for me, it keeps coming up. But um, I've read in the last few months, like when somebody shows you who they really are, trust them let them like believe them. And there's a certain um, joy that comes from also knowing that you are who you are and your reputation is amazing. Like we, we got a phone call from a distributor in the Midwest in the last six months or so. And, you know, they want to talk about a new relationship and we're thrilled for it. And he said, you know, I just spent the last week calling all of my contacts around the country to try to break your good reputation. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I was like, that might be the best compliment I've ever gotten yeah. in this industry because it's not me. It's our company. And I think that there's a lot to be said in this business and really in all business. Um, 
you know, how do you take your values and help empower everybody else on the team to help also be personally and professionally committed to that integrity and yeah. that authenticity and things like that. So it's really fun to see how much we've really grown a lot in the last five years and also how much we're kind of stronger than ever in terms of our uh, commitment to those core values. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Well, you know, this leads me to my next question. You know, the organic industry is very interesting, but, you know, I have a perspective, I think, very different than a lot of people just because I'm old and gray, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, we're struggling a little bit as an industry. We're struggling wanting to grow up. We're, we have a lot of people that are trying to pull us backwards as opposed to embracing what's going forward, which I quite frankly think if we don't embrace going forward, or at least these conversations, it's actually going to hurt the brand long-term, not help the brand long-term because attributes will, will, will eventually start to chisel away at what organic is because organic's an attribute as well. And I think it becomes kind of dangerous. But one of the things that that you all are doing that I like, and I want to get into this, is, is you're working to make organic more relatable, um, which is, be honest with you, I don't know anybody else that's used that terminology before. And I loved it. I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. And it goes back to kind of my, my soapbox about how do you value food? So talk right. to me a little bit about that initiative that you guys are doing. And I'm going to come from two parts. So one, I'd like to see what you're doing when you're talking to the end user, the retailers, and you know how they're responding, but also to how do the consumers responding to that messaging? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I try really not to suck at home. my questions. I try not to suck at my questions. <laughs> well, you're doing great. Um, okay. <laughs> well, I really, um, you know, ultimately what we are is a bridge. Like we are a bridge to product. You know, we, we, we float sure. the product from the farm to the, the wholesale buyer and we're a bridge to the relationship. So I would say from the retailer perspective, uh, like, we really rock at farm tours. I mean, I know it's untraditional to take your supplier and introduce them to your customer and try to facilitate them caring about each other because there's some paranoia that might exist in the industry about, you know, not always staying relevant, but frankly, we crush it at that. And that is our, it's kind of like our special way that we maintain an understanding of communication and connection with the retailers. Frankly, you know, I think that making organic more relatable, when you hear that, you know, obviously, for the most part, you float it straight to the consumer. But ultimately, everyone in the retail industry is a human. And they are also a consumer. But really, we're all just trying to do a good job at our jobs. And like, not burn out. <laughs> you know, we want to be able to like, wake up and remember the passion and feel like we're having an impact. And so our ability to post connection for those buyers to the farm is I know some of the best days that our buyers have all year. Um, and, you know, we go out for a good barbecue. We go out, you know, we have a good time and our farmers love it. They love yep. hearing the questions that the folks from outside of the state are bringing. And they love knowing when there's a problem, like we're not going to just cancel the thing. We're going to communicate it on to the buyer and we're going to try to figure out if there's a way to work around it. And that's the, that's where the resiliency comes back in, but it's not because we, we we don't want to lose the deal. It's because none of us want to work this hard if it doesn't really mean something to us. hundred percent. It's got to be good for everybody or nobody wins. Right. And that's yeah, what I agree exactly. with that. I preach that all the time. It's like, well, here's my problem. If you don't know what my problem is, how can you help? And if I don't know your problems, how do we solve them? I love it. You know, I had a program and it popped in my head. I had a program called the organic knowledge and information exchange that I did where we did the exact same thing we brought. We, and of course, you know, the acronym is OKI, by the way, which makes it even better. Yeah, it's even better. But we did that. And we did the exact same thing. We brought 
retailers out. We put them on the farm. We put their asses to work. They were picked up at five o'clock in the morning and they were put boots on and they're cutting broccoli. They're out there getting a full day of understanding what goes into your food. Again, learning how to value food from the eyes of somebody that's out there every day picking green onions or somebody that's in a carrot shed. And it was probably one of the most it's probably one of the most impactful initiatives of my career that I put together, but it's probably one of the most impactful initiatives that um, retailers have. I still have people talking about it today that come up to me and say they've been on the program and what a difference it Absolutely. made because it gave them an absolute understanding. People need to know where their food comes from. So for you guys to step up, I'm glad you're not threatened by having that interaction between the two because there's no reason to be because yeah. if everybody's on the same page, the goal is the same. Cutting people out of cutting people out does not get the goal, make the goal any better. It just makes it right. actually quite worse. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, the value kudos. add that we provide is the ability to be kind of the host also. Like mm-hmm. it's it's not gonna happen that likely if you're working directly and you don't have these like kind of freaky urban folks at Happy Dirt being like, hey, let's go out, come on down, well, you know, whatever it might be that's what we specialize in is bridging the gap. Like we can help make it literally more relatable. You fly in from Delaware, fly in from Milwaukee, whatever it is, we're going to get in a car. We're going to have an amazing road trip. We're going to have amazing food. You're going to feel the dirt. You're going to feel like a connection to the farmer. And, and I would bet the folks that went through your program, it was probably one of the highlights of their entire career. And besides being really meaningful, I'm sure they constantly thought about it when they were eating food. Like, yeah. or if there's a big storm, they can relate so much more to a certain level of empathy because they're like, oh, wow, those farmers are already facing so much hard work every day. And now this, you know, you know, we would, we would spend the day um, and we'd bust their asses. There's no two ways about it. We'd ship back to their hotels. They get cleaned mm-hmm. up. We don't have dinner. And one of the things I, that I used to get the biggest kick out of was how everybody's complaining about how tired they were, how sore they are, oh, my yeah. back hurts, my knees hurt. I didn't know I had hamstrings, yeah. all of this. That's and so it's a great wake up call because, you, again, it goes back to your point originally or earlier yeah. in the conversation. People just don't get it. They just don't get where food comes from. They don't get what it takes to put that strawberry in the grocery store that you spend zero time considering right. eating. You just went, ah, yeah. right? Well, and that's so, the story they're going to come home to their family and tell their kids about. Like, this 100%. is what I did. Our farmers would never want you or me doing any work on their farm. They'd be like, you're going to mess it all up. Like, come look around. You could pick it and eat it. But no, yeah. you're not. you're not weeding for me. No way. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're, you're not hurting my feelings at all by saying that. I'm on board with you. Now. I'm with you. We, we're the encouragers, not the discouragers. Exactly. Right? I'm a good exactly. cheerleader. Yeah. So when you when you think about what you just shared with us a little bit, and I know this, I'm going to throw you a, a tougher question a little bit here. I have thoughts about this, and I go back and forth all the time in this, this conversation in my mind about you know again valuing our food and who has responsibility to do different things throughout the food life cycle. So I. This is a tough one, and you can decline to answer it if you want, because I don't want to put you in the hot seat, but I'm going to ask a question anyways. What are some of the issues you see today at retail that need immediate solutions to help um, the American consumer better understand um, organics and their food supply? Or guess back to my original point about valuing food. Yeah. No, this is a great question. Um, I don't. What's wrong with me that I don't feel like this is a hot seat question? <laughs> um, but I mean, first of all, from the organic. Well, I say that because everybody's so freaking terrified of the retailers, right? They're so afraid. And I'll say, now here comes the letters now. But they're terrified of the retailers. If they say something bad or they push back too hard, they're going to get cut off. And I just, and, and we got to still feed people, kids. And we have to have these conversations. That, and, and I'm, so I'll, I'll answer that for you. And I don't mean to get back on it, but no, I love that. We can't yeah. be afraid of, we cannot be afraid to your point. We can't be afraid to communicate all together. 
If you mm-hmm. don't know what's, if you don't know what my worries and problems are, I'm never going to be a good supplier for you because you, you, it's, we don't relate. That's yeah. where I come yeah. from, from that. One of, and then I'll get to your question. This is not me dodging the question. I swear. No, no. But, um, I've been the chairperson of the Southern Sayer um, branch of the USDA. It's like a grant giving council um, for many years. And in the Southern region alone, it's through the farm bill. In the Southern region alone, we sure. give out like $9 million a year in, in grants. And it has been incredibly rewarding to me to feel comfortable bringing up hard topics. Like you could just, you could, you could be on a grant committee for the USDA and just mm-hmm. kind of like not make waves. But um, I take my job seriously. And I think it's really important to get comfortable sitting with a bunch of like deans of agriculture and, you know, officials from the EPA or whatever it might be. And I'm just the agribusiness representative. So kind of, you know, a little, a little weird in the corner, but nonetheless, like that is my job to be there and kind of bring different perspective. Like, is this really sustainable agriculture? Is this really authentic? Like maintaining the integrity of the Sayer reputation within the country um, is so critical. So I actually, I'm very well versed in having these hard conversations because again, we are all at risk. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Gordon Robertson, CEO of Verdant Technologies. Thank you for listening to Todd Versations. Our innovative post-harvest solution, Harvest Hold Fresh, is a game changer in delivering longer lasting produce from crop to cart. Our patent technology slows the clock, extending the shelf life of fruits and vegetables, helping to preserve them at their peak. By simply inserting a sheet of Harvest Hold Fresh into packaging after harvest, our solution works to significantly reduce waste, deliver return on investment, and offer robust sustainability benefits in the perishable produce supply chain. That's a winning proposition for the grower, the shipper, the retailer, the consumer, and our planet. Contact us today and let us help you change your fresh future with this one sheet wonder. Harvest Hold Fresh from Verdant Technologies. How do we keep this conversation or start this conversation? We don't, we don't have a conversation. I'm trying to start the conversation about valuing food and specifically putting more value into the organic sector, fruits and vegetable sector, however you want to go with it. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest problems that from my perspective in the organic industry and in the organic movement that we face is the challenging around uh, challenges around packaging because there's no worse way than to burn somebody out who feels really loyal to their values than always only having it in un- non-recyclable plastic. So we have a huge disconnect for the organic shopper in the packaging issue. And, you know, obviously we've, we've made some strides forward. We took some steps back. I mean, the last few years have been incredibly turbulent. We are one tiny company that is lucky enough to have pretty great alliances with a lot of labels out there. So I feel confident in our ability to all work together more around this issue. Um, But it's really alienating to a lot of the organic shoppers. And frankly, it's not rocket science. It's a financial issue. This is a money-driven problem, but we have costs at the end because we're ignoring it. And that's where our industry leaders, our elected officials should be working better together to get ahead of it, make a little bit of a upfront investment, make it more affordable, and frankly, tax the, the, the greatest problems. I mean, we, we have the options and the opportunity, and it's just getting off the bench. So that's wow. really frustrating. The kind of inertia around that is um, 
like I said, really alienating, I think, to the organic shopper. And I can take some responsibility in that statement because when the organic industry was was growing up and we were trying to get the training wheels off and, and work our way through, we weren't big enough and united enough and had any kind of market share whatsoever. Mm-hmm. When the retailers started to embrace us as we built, as we cracked through some of those doors, packaging was a really big problem. Like, like we most of the PLU codes that are out on vegetables today, we bought and paid for and set them up, right? We, yeah. was, we started that way back then. Yeah. And, and at Cal Organic, no less, we did it. But packaging was a big problem. And so the organic industry was being told to package, package, package. And I believe, and it's a regret that I have today, that we weren't strong enough or big enough as an industry to say, no, 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 go make the other guys pack it because they're already doing the work. Right. We didn't do that. We took Thanks that on thing. like we didn't have a choice, right? Because, yeah. because being young and small and not having, and, and again, not having the courage, I think at that point or the wisdom to go, hey, this isn't the right thing to do, kids. We're, this is polar opposite about what we all believe. Right. We were forced into it because we didn't have, we didn't, we frankly, we just didn't have the backbone at the point at that time to make that decision and, and try to hold that line. Right. And who could have thunk, right? I mean, look at where the movement is now. Look at where Correct. the is now. Back then it was like, oh, well, let's just not lose momentum. Yeah. Could be, and you didn't because back then you're, you're, you were just hoping, you were just hoping that if you sat on hold for 45 minutes with Ralph's waiting for somebody to answer the phone, they would give you an order for a pallet or two, yeah. right? That was the world back then. And it's yeah. obviously not that today. And I think, if you had that crystal ball and you could look into the future a little bit, besides going to Vegas and cashing out, but I mean, we could have seen where we are today. I yeah. wish, I wish my peer group would have banded together mentally on the issue of packaging and said, mm-hmm. no, let's find a better alternative now and insert that into this category. That's all about alternatives to what we currently have. So yeah. I, I feel, I feel a sense of responsibility for the amount of product that we put out and the way we built the industry for not yeah. doing a better job at that. Well, I mean, the reality is, is that we're all kind of left on our own to figure it out. And if we Mm -hmm. all just came up with something together, then we could just go for it again. Like this is not, we are not, this is not the most hard challenge to solve. We just have to all collaborate on the solution to scale it up so that it works. Um, So yeah, that's one big piece of it. And I think that, you know, this, um, I I learned a lot personally through our rebrand into Happy Dirt, which happened in 2019. And, you know, living through all these kind of um, resiliency assessments and what what was the next version of how to take our brand and make it more relatable and make it more accessible. And I think the reality is, is that um, consumers are really hungry for connection, absolutely. But I would say in the produce aisle, um, it's a little bit leaning towards the like threatening level of connection. You know, like we have a lot of problems and we sell produce sometimes based around the problems. And that alienates people who are not as well-versed or concerned about the problems because they have other problems that are potentially more imminent on them. And so Mm -hmm. it leaves, I would say produce in general, especially organics, this kind of little protected class. Like if you, you know, everybody of course, we all do all of our food shopping based on habit anyways, but, you know, you stay in your box, you go to your one or two things and, you know, you do what you do every time. So in my opinion, because I care not just about our business and our farmers and our customers, but because I care about the health of America in general, I'm really passionate about produce consumption. And if we just skewed to making produce less like 
um, preaching to the choir and a little bit more accessible in terms of um, not being threatening and not, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like opening the gates a little bit more. I think that would be huge. And frankly, the only reason we have to do it from a marketing perspective is because there's no baseline of education in our school systems around, like we talked about, around how food is produced, basic nutrition. I mean, unfortunately, we we have not made any of the headway in terms of linking up the produce industry and agriculture with and farmers, which kids love learning about farmers. We are not maximizing that at all. Excuse me. I hope you're okay. Agreed. No, I'm fine. Um, um, Yeah, we haven't made any progress, I would say. And we've probably gone backwards because a lot more kids used to have some level of access to fresh product coming out of the dirt through their grandparents or in their own communities in the past. Um, And there was probably a lot more hands-on education around these issues. And now, you know, we've kind of stripped all of the education into some, you know, very basic cores. And so we are sending all these people off into adulthood without the taste buds that they need in order to have a a palate for this and the nutritional and kind of like medical implications and health, you know, benefits that can empower them to make good choices, much less the cooking skills or any of that. So um, that's something that has now become a problem, I would say, in the produce departments that I would love for us, again, to lean more on working together as a country to um, to kind of better impact from the ground up. Like if you really wanna teach a society anything, just teach the kids. They'll take the stuff home and teach their parents about it. So that's where I think it could be, you know, again, some low hanging fruit, sorry for the pun, um, no. but to focus on, you know, how do we make sure that there's a baseline of appreciation for farmers, understanding of the health impacts of eating produce and like what the, what the real dietary restrictions. And I don't mean like a diet culture. I mean, a, a, a produce centric. Um, I don't even know if the word diet is really appropriate here, but a produce focused appetite. Well, and uh, kids need to know how to cook and how to eat or else they're never going to start liking it later. Yeah, I'm, you are. You have a kindred spirit in me in this conversation, big time. I mean, we have we have a show we produce called Lunchtime Heroes, where we're actually bringing uh, nutrition service people from different school districts around this country that are scratch cooking in the schools. And I'm not talking for 50 kids. I'm talking 27,000 kids. I'm talking millions of meals a week, and they're putting value back into the into the school food, into these mm-hmm. lunches, and the results that they are seeing with these kids is staggering. From more meals being served, less disciplinary problems, less bullshit all over the place. Kids are going home and they're changing their diets at home. They're asking their parents. The parents are having to call the schools to figure out where they get the, the noodle wraps to make spring rolls for these kids because the parents can't find them at the store. No, it's yeah. the most, it's one of the most powerful conversations that this platform has ever produced. And I say this all the time. If we, you know, as we get older, we have two choices. We can take our wisdom and move it forward, or you could take your wisdom and drag it back to the mm-hmm. to the youth of today. And if we want to make the biggest impact, you want to change this planet. You want to change climate. You want to plant more trees. You want to save dolphins. Whatever it is, start working with these kids because okay. they're sponges. And it's amazing. These kids are now in the kitchen. They're taste testing, creating recipes that they're serving in their schools. The salad bar, the lunch, the, the numbers are staggering. It is so yeah. imperative that we work yeah. with these children. It's and so I imperative. dare say that 
when you do that, if you could take your program and multiply it and just, you know, hit that impact all over the country, we are going to have more kids who want to grow up and become farmers. We're going to have more chefs who want to rely on local food systems and, and direct farmer relationships because they're not afraid to lean on what is local or what is more, you know, supporting their local food economy. So um, 100%. there's all kinds of workforce development. I mean, it, it's just <clears throat> that one program is addressing so many societal problems yeah. and doing it in a really fun and positive way. And that's where I think, you know, ultimately, again, a big part of our connection with consumers is that we're really just trying to come making it more relatable by it's, this is about really positive things. This is not yeah. about like an entry level of, a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I encourage anybody, Chef Ann Foundation, get online, Wellness in the Schools, get online and go see one of my personal food heroes, Stephen Ritz at the Green Bronx Machine. You want to wake up a little bit and see the magic of what these kids are doing when you put food in front of them, you get them involved, you teach them how to eat right, you teach them to question what's going on, you teach them to, to, to learn taste and make choices. Let them make choices with food, for God's sake. So they got to make choices when they're 21 and 30. Let's exactly. start when they can make choices with, between an apple and a pear. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's so powerful and it's such a yeah. great thing. I love what you said and I love what you're, you're working at and you're trying to make it, again, relatable. You're trying to make it bringing, I think it's, I think it's really quite, quite honestly, I think it's, it's, it's in your DNA in the sense that you're bringing people together, just like you mm -hmm. do with your farmers. You want that unity and that opportunity to speak to everybody, you know, not just speak to one group, but speak to all and bring that together exactly. because that's how we're going to change the narrative in this country. That's exactly. how we're going to change the food world, mm -hmm. right? We're not on an Island here, kids. We're on a rock that's spinning around. And if we don't start to figure it out, May you know may not stop spinning while we're on it. I mean, we may be dead and gone, but you know, hey guys, eventually it could, right? Yep. So let's Absolutely. take care of it. Absolutely. Let's take care of it. No, I really appreciate that. Now, talk to me a little bit. You know, and I I don't want I don't want to 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 not get to this because I think this is incredibly powerful. You guys are a certified B Corp. Mm -hmm. That is a badass thing to become. That's like that's kind of like a business ninja. I mean, you know, there's secret handshakes. There's a lot of work. You know, they probably come over to your house and look in your cupboards. I mean, it's a big deal. It's not an easy process. To Todd, do. you might be the only other person in the produce industry who knows what B Corp is. So I really appreciate that. I think it's, it's there's a ninja move there about it in general, the secret handshake in general. But we're really alone in the produce world. <laughs> yeah, you are. Well, I mean, how hard? But, but but how hard is this thing to pull off? I mean, you just don't walk in and they go, hey, you're stamped. You guys no. have to, you have to literally... Your heart gets your heart, your business heart is poured out on the table and you got to deal with that. Yeah. And we want it to be hard. Again, this gets back to like maintaining authenticity by marrying integrity and, and strong standards. You know, we are also, I mean, I joke about how much we love third party audits, but we're a certified living wage employer. We're part of a, the fair food program, which is a remarkable process for farms. Um, so there's all other kinds of things that we go through, but within the B Corp realm, um, you know, we we were qualified as a B Corp and felt connected to it for many years before we actually, you know, took the plunge. And I think that ultimately it is a huge time investment. There's also a financial investment, of course, into the process. Um, but a lot of it, I think the biggest, you know, real cost and challenge at the time for us was that we had all of these fabulous things we were doing, but we didn't have them systematized. Like right. they were part of our operation, but there wasn't a written policy about it. We just did it. So there's a certain degree of kind of um, formalizing process and protocol that 
actually is just really good for business. Like it's, it's all part of scaling up. It's all part of, it's all part of believing in what's possible. So we kind of, again, leans back on getting brave and just saying, you know what, we are more important. We deserve to be part of these alliances. We deserve the limelight and and the seal as a badge of honor. Like that was the big piece of it was when we qualify for this, what are we afraid of? You know, like we can go through all of these things and earn the prestige and the respect and the, you know, that authenticity that we deserve. So it is a huge process. I mean, I actually love how much there's nothing that they don't care about. Like no thing else, you know, in organic or food safety, you know, the inspector comes in and like, you know, exactly what they're charged to care about and B Corp, like put it all out on the table. Um, so it is overwhelming and intimidating shout out to a dear friend of mine. Who's a business professor, um, at the pool school of uh, business at NC state university who is a, her, she's a special, uh, she is a specialist in sustainable entrepreneurship. And she launched a clinic for students to learn about the B Corporation movement, the history, mm-hmm. the impact, et cetera. And then they, their next class is that they get paired with an aspiring B Corp and they help go through the process. So we got a student and that student helped us update our employee handbook and do a few things that got us a few extra points. And, um, you know, we've always, we do the renewals on our own now and it's very hard, Um, but we want it to be hard. And frankly, there's so much benefit that comes from being able to like step in to the power of being part of this movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people that we connect with who are in totally different industries than us, but we have this kind of common language um, and there's always going to be something that you can collaborate on when you have that shared value. So the other piece about the B Corporation movement that I'll share is that what I really love the most about it is that yes, there is like a grade that's pass or fail, but really the impetus is also that you're going to do better. Every time you you reapply, you know, sustainability is not like a pearly gate. The whole point of it, and this is kind of where I think the the conversation around regenerative and renewable is becoming, is having such traction is because we cannot just focus on being sustainable anymore. We have a lot to clean up on. And so this is a moving target and we have to constantly be doing better. Um, And that's what B Corp, you know, we'll we'll often be doing something. We'll be like, oh, we should remember to include this because this is a new thing that is relevant to our B status. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got a great trickle down. Not only does it have energy inside your walls, right? Because people have pride and you raise the bar. And, and, and what I love about it outside your walls is it says to me that you're willing to be accountable. It says to yeah. me, you're willing to share. It says to me, you're willing to go the extra mile knowing, quite frankly, look, as I said, it is not easy to become a B Corp. It's not just here's a hundred bucks and I'm in the club. It's right. a process. It, it is a learning curve. It's a deep dive into your own business philosophy, what you believe in, why you believe in it, and then holding yourself accountable and having somebody hold your feet accountable right. to growth and who you are. And I commend you for doing it. I think it's wonderful. You're so I hope it's- you know all about this. I'm, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like I never know how to talk about it within the produce industry. It feels like this kind of other part of us, our identity, that doesn't yeah. necessarily have room in the industry, in the produce well, industry. Well, you're on an island. Well, but let's be honest, there's a lot of people that are in business and I'm not just the produce. There's a lot of people in business that, you know, want to green hush or greenwash and say, here's a box. I checked the box. I have recycling trash cans in my office. Therefore, I'm saving the planet. Right. They only want to do what they have to do. And that's a byproduct of not valuing our food too, right? That's that, A lot of that comes yeah. from the pressure that they feel to have to, to answer to 
I can only charge this much because that's what the market bears, which is crazy, right. quite frankly. Right. But nonetheless, yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine you know we have a fabulous business attorney, right? They're not, they're uh, what I mean when I am thinking they're nothing special. Meaning they're just a great attorney. They don't specialize in organics. They don't know you know they're not like an environmental lawyer. Um, imagine on one hand we have 16 farmers who are partners in this process and we're constantly trying to figure out how to do better for them as farmers. So, you know, there's often a moment where he's like, this is not that common, in, you know, a capitalist economy. Are, are mm. you sure this is how you want to do things? We have to go and get all their signatures on this or that. And then with the B corporation, you have to put in your foundational like operating agreement. Yeah. That your commitment is to the triple bottom line and that you are here to advance the safety of the planet and the safety of the community and the people um, more or as much as you care about the profit. And so again, you know, it's just really funny bringing these not that common concepts to very upstanding business folks and trying to help them see that actually this is helping our business. You know, oh, yeah. the commitment that we have to our farmers is absolutely critical to our bottom line. The commitment we have to composting in the warehouse is critical to our bottom line. To racial equity training for all of our staff, it's it's critical to our bottom line. So, yeah. I, I it's a powerful tool. I wish more. I wish more businesses would look at it, or at least try to aspire to it, or even go through the motions of you know, even go through the motions of wondering if they can do it. Right. Because if you can't do it, you got to say, well, God, what am I doing wrong? What can I be doing differently? What what yeah. what are the opportunities that are in front of me? You don't have to sign up and get in the club. Yeah. But challenge yourself as a business. What am I doing? Can I do things yeah. better? Right. This don't be so back compl- to packaging is like, yeah, we we get taxed because of all the packaging. We cannot solve all the packaging problems. That's my fault. Just industry, tell me, blame me. Just but tell it me, weighs blame us me. Down. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to get you anywhere, trust me. So, you know, this has been great. I, I, this has been a really fun conversation. I want to kind of just next, I guess, kind of ramp it up is what's next for you guys? What's going on? What's exciting? What's new? What's happening? What's the vision? Where are you going? Tell me something good. I mean, it really is. Besides, besides I can come visit you. We go to barbecue. I cannot wait. No, really, you Done. should. I mean, let's do some on-farm hangout. I'm there. there. Do you not do my farm live podcast together? Sure. Let's go. Not my Let's first do, time kicking yeah. clods in the field. I'm serious. hundred percent spring or fall. Don't come in the summer. Um, yeah, a little humidity. Yeah. Too, too dead hot. Yes. The farmers are less interested in hosting you then as well. I don't blame them. Um, but yeah, no, we can, we can open up a watermelon on the back of a truck together. It'll be great. It's so the best, best I will make sure to peer pressure you about that in the future. Um, what's next for Happy Dirt is really just continuing to do everything we're doing. I mean, you know, we have our sights set on more impact. So more geography, you know, we have developed a lot more resourcefulness in the logistics realm in the last few years. So we can really get anywhere now with amazing product. We can pull amazing product from anywhere. Um, and so, yeah, just thinking through like, how do we continue to, expand that impact, deepen the impact, like deepen the relationships we have with our customers, deepen the uh, relationship we have with our suppliers, um, and really helping folks to specialize a little bit more. Five years ago, I wouldn't have said that we can do a great program. You know, we really kind of were supplemental fitting in for many years. And then I would say about five to eight years ago, we started growing and growing. And now we can like rock really great programs for people. And, um, you know, kind of look, smell and feel like every other produce company, except everything inside of the truck and everything in the operating agreements is just a totally different level of uh, commitment and, you know, the way we approach things. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of 
what we want to do is, you know, more, more on our team, um, more in our community of farmers, um, more acreage um, that our farmers want to do. And, you know, more happy dirt tags and packaging on more products. So that's been really fun to go, you know, kind of hit about 250 produce items and uh, similarly around 250 pantry, like non-produce items that we distribute. I love it. I love it. Congratulations. I mean, it is, you know, as I said in the beginning of this, folks, um, you know, we started this conversation. This is a company that you need to pay attention to. This is what makes a difference in our world is when you get into conversations and your sleeves are rolled up and your heart's laying out there and you're dealing with things for real and you're talking about things for real and presenting things in a real time way and dealing with problems and challenges, creating issues and opportunities through all kinds of stuff. And it's just incredibly powerful. So, I mean, much love from, from my team here to your team there and don't stop. Don't let them get to you. Keep forging ahead. Stay true to what you believe in your heart because it radiates out of you in this conversation. And I hope that it radiates into people's ears and they start to get online and go happy dirt. I didn't even know happy dirt existed. I know that's why they're here. So I can tell you about mm-hmm. them and let's see what we can do to keep driving your message forward and, and change the dynamic and especially change the dynamic in the Southeast like you're doing it and empower these farmers for the next generation and for the future. It's incredibly impactful and powerful. So thank you for being here today. Todd, you're truly amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Everybody. Get online, happy dirt. Go use the Google machine. You know how to make your fingers work. Go check them out. See what they're about. Email Sandy. She'll email you back. She's good about it. Let's talk it through. Let's open up opportunities. Let's keep these conversations rolling and go challenge yourself. As as Sandy's throwing out to everybody, she's got some challenges inside of her own company that she's thrown out to be better. And I think that's so powerful. So go do it to yourself. Do it in your own day. Do it around your house. Do it in your yard. Make some challenges and go live through them and see what it does for you. It'll inspire you. I guarantee it. That's that's the focus of what I want to say next is to go inspire, inspire somebody because it's incredibly important. You don't know the path we're on. And just a simple hello can change somebody's day in such a great way. So go be that person today. Go spread some love, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go, go check us out on social media because that's where the cool kids are and that's where I hang out. Much love to you, everybody. Sandy, please come back. I want to hear more stories. And I'm coming to North Carolina. We're getting barbecue or eating watermelons. I'm down. I'm in. 100%. Done. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Take care, Todd.